You're now listening to a resource from the Field Church in Mandeville, Louisiana. It's our joy to glorify God by treasuring Jesus in the preaching of His Word. We pray this resource will be a tool used to aid in your relationship with Christ and your local church. Amen. Well, you can be seated. Happy Mother's Day to those of you here today that are um, that are mothers. And uh, I want to just uh, have everyone give a round of applause to those who who labor hard in, in raising children and um, and guiding them, and uh, especially uh, you who guide um, your children in the way of the Lord. That is a difficult task, and I want to just um, say that we praise God for you. We, we praise the Lord that He has given mothers to this world, um, uh, without which um, our children and, and then into adulthood would be, uh, be without guidance, without care. Um, we know fathers couldn't do the job. Um, everyone say amen to that, okay? And, uh, and so the mothers, thank you guys so much. I know that today is such a joyful and jubilant day. I also know it's that it's a day oftentimes full of sorrow. And so just, um, it, just being honest from my position up here, from, from our position as a church, it's always just a difficult day to navigate because because, listen, the Bible, when it errs on one side, it usually errs on the side of, of caution and love and consideration for those that may be weak in, in a certain area rather than for those who are overly um, jubilant and strong. Like, in the sense of, like, we, we want to always uh, take heed and, and be careful for those who, who maybe this is a sorrowful day and, and not cause them maybe to stumble or to, to, to increase their sorrow. And so I want to tell you that uh, on a day like this, I also know that this, there's, this, this day brings about hardship for many. Uh, many families today will, will experience actually grieving rather than a, a jubilant, um, uh, joyful t- uh, time. And I know that this is always an opportunity for me to express uh, that that was true, that's been true for my life for, for 14 years. Now, um, it, I'm far removed, and the Lord has done so many good things through my, my mom passing away, but my mom passed away when I was uh, 19, 20 years old. It's been about 14 years, but, um, but I know that this day, it, it brings about a lot of emotions, and, and today usually was more of a sorrowful day uh, than it was a jubilant day, and, um, and that's because just uh, of what, you know, what transpired with my mom and, and kind of watching that unfold and then experiencing that after it at such a young age, and there might be many reasons why today is a sorrowful day. For, for many, it could be because of, of the loss of a child. It could be because of the loss of, of a mother. It could be because of the desire to be a, a mother's uh, um, and, and not seeing the Lord fulfill that plan uh, yet in your life. And so what I want to encourage you with as a, as a church community who loves one another well is to be mindful of that, to rejoice with, with those uh, who, who should be rejoiced with and, and what an awesome opportunity um, you have to shepherd children, but also to, to be um, patient and, and caring and, and recognize those who might be in, uh, today might be a difficult place um, and, and to pray with them and, and to ask them how they're doing and to love them and love them well. And so, and so today I just want to say that there's that kind of mixture of joy and sorrow that's in this one place, which I think is such a cool uh, representative of who God is and how he, he mixes our joy with our sorrow and how we supplement each other's faith in that way as a church body. So I want to go to the Lord in prayer and just uh, and pray for our mothers and pray for those who are hurting and also pray for those um, who are in a wonderful place um, to, to experience the joy of the Lord today. So would you pray with me during this time? Father, we come before you, and we know that there's a, such a mixture of emotion on this day. On the one hand, God, we thank you so much for, for um, the opportunity to, to, uh, to encourage the, the moms in this room who labor day in and day out um, to, to care for their children, to care for their family, um, and to, to be such an incredible witness uh, to them for the Lord Jesus. And... Um, and God, we just, we, we love how you've set up the family. We love how you've brought mothers to be such a strong guide and such a strong helper and such a strong um, leaders in their own ways um, to, to show their, their children um, just what it looks like to follow Jesus. And uh, God, we just love you so much for, for how you've done that. We, we thank you. We look to um, your, uh, your encouragement um, t- for them today. Um, I ask that you would bring about a rest and a, a joyfulness. Um, God, I pray that they would feel encouraged. Um, also, God, I pray for the 
others in this room who may be experiencing uh, trial uh, today and, and maybe joylessness. Um, I pray that they would depend upon you, that they would lean into you, God, as you caused me to do and encouraged me in all these years um, is to trust in you and and to depend on you. Um, God, I pray that that we as a body of Christ would rally around each other and that we would look to the interest of the other, uh, to maybe the weak brother or sister, uh, not weak in a sense of of their less than, but weak in the sense of maybe their faith uh, is is failing during during a time like this. And I pray, God, that we would encourage them, pray for them, and ask that you would bring about great encouragement. So, God, thank you for this wonderful day, and uh, we know that you're with us either way in our joy and in our sorrow, and that's what we look to. We pray your blessings over this message as we look to your word, and pray that you would that you would guide us in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you guys can open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 3. I hope you have a Bible. If you do, you can open it to Luke uh, chapter 3. That's where we are. We've been walking through the book of Luke. So if you're new here, um, what I would love for you to do is try to pull up the Bible on your phone or try to grab one in the hallway because um, that's what we're going to do is we're going to always walk through the text. We're always going to look at your eyes always more on the Bible than they they are on me because I want to teach you what's actually there. We need God's words more than we need my words, right? And I don't want to just encourage you with with maybe some motivational uh, stuff that will get you going out the door, but then leave you without real substance for the rest of your life. I want you to remember what's in the text. I want you to come back to Luke chapter 3, like years from now, and say, I know this text. I know what this says. I know what God's doing here, right? This book is so valuable. I want this to be the treasure of your heart. I want you to know it inside and out, and I want you to know the God of the Bible. And so this is what we're looking at right here, and uh, we're going to walk through this. And so I I hope that you follow along with me because I'm going to refer a lot back to the text. Well, today is a great day because um, we get to talk about on Mother's Day the, the brood of vipers message that John the Baptist is preaching. And so it's appropriate, right? It's like, great, like Mother's Day, here we go, brood of vipers coming at you, right? And uh, But that's where we find ourselves. I don't know why the Lord has done it. When we start a book of the Bible, we just kind of continue on through it and things come up like Mother's Day or, or or, you know, the various holidays, and we're just like, man, here's where we find ourselves today. So I guess mothers, uh, the Lord wanted the brood of vipers message um, on on your special day today, okay? And uh, so we're going to walk through it. And so today what we're going to see is I'm just going to recap where we've been in this passage. And then we're going to understand where we're going next and what John is actually doing in the scriptures, the, the verses that we're talking about today and, and where it's going. And, and so what we've seen so far in this message is that this is what's been happening through the book of Luke, okay? The plan was for the Messiah, the king, prior to the book of Luke, the king to come, the Messiah to come. His plan um, was to restore Israel, restore his people, to redeem them back, to buy them back in that sense and, and be their leader, their, their king, right? And uh, the Israelites, the Jewish people, looked to this coming king and were expectant. They were hopeful that this king would come and restore their nation. Now listen, they had a misrepresentation or misunderstanding at least about what this king would look like. They thought this king would be an earthly king and that this king would restore them to political power, right? And uh, what they found out is that maybe this was a little bit different than what they thought it was. God had, a, had, a, had an even greater plan that this king would come and restore them actually back to the God of the universe in a real life relationship. And so really this people is expecting this king for a very long time. And then we see in Luke chapters 1 and 2, this Messiah, this king, this anointed one actually come, like he was born, right? We watch this take place, the fulfillment of the prophecies. And we watch Jesus come onto the scene where he's born in a manger. He's on the scene. He's, in, he's on earth, right? Listen, p- picture this. The God of the universe is now on earth. Like in human form, the God of the world is now on earth. And so th- we've been watching this all take place. But the, the key thing is, is, is they don't know that he's here yet. Many people don't know that he's here yet. This has been very hidden, 
so far. Very hidden, allowing for preparatory time for Jesus to grow up and, and to, to experience real human boyhood and, and growth and, and, and listening to his father and, and listening to other teachers. So Jesus is growing up. This is real hidden. And now what's about to happen, especially in chapter 3 and 4, is Jesus is about to come on the scene. And they're going to say this long-awaited Messiah is finally here, like he's starting the ministry. It's go time. Like now's the time he's going to do what we've been anticipating and waiting for him to do. And so in preparation for this king coming on the scene, John the Baptist is sent by God to prepare the way. Now, isn't that unique? Like if you just think about this, Jesus just could have came on the scene and just started and like he could have just done whatever he wanted and shown himself to be God and, and that would have been that. But God doesn't do it that way. What God ends up doing is sending someone to prepare the way prior to Jesus coming on the scene. And that's John. John is coming to prepare hearts. So this John, who's the cousin of Jesus, he's out in the wilderness growing up eating locusts with wild honey, living a pretty simple life, I would say, right? Wearing camel's hair. And the word of the Lord comes to him and says, it's go time. Like, I want you to come on the scene now, prepare the way, prepare the hearts for the people because Jesus and his ministry is about to begin. So with this, you would ask yourself, well, why, why is John coming? What is he coming to prepare us for? Like, what did, we, what did they need to be prepared for, for Jesus coming? And this is the whole point of this passage. The preparation needs to happen because the people need to understand that this righteousness that Jesus is bringing is based upon grace and it's not based upon the works of the law. You see, the Jewish people had in their mind that this righteousness that they were going to receive would be kept or would be received or would be earned by keeping the law, by following everything that uh, the Jewish law traditionally had said. And when John the Baptist comes on the scene, he's speaking a pretty harsh message. Like you read this and you're like, like who talks like this, right? No wonder he was killed pretty shortly after this. Okay, I mean, truly. I mean, he's, pretty, he's bold, right? And yet, even though this message is so harsh, what we find in verse 18 of our passage is that the Bible calls it good news. Why is it good news? Because John is preparing the people to forget or forsake their, their works-based righteousness and to lean into, to get ready for, to prepare their hearts to receive this righteousness that will be dependent upon grace. The king is bringing in a gospel of grace of grace. Forget the way. We're going to squash the way of you trusting in your own merit and keeping the law in order to be in right standing with God. So he's speaking harsh, like, get that out of here. Let's not trust in the law or your merit or, or your works to, to be in right standing with God. We're going to get that out of here so that your heart can be ready, be prepared for this gospel of grace. And the grace of the Lord Jesus was about to come in. And so they had to understand this because if not, their hearts wouldn't be ready. And many of them still weren't, okay? So what we've seen in this passage so far, if you start in verses 1 through 2, is we've seen this great scope of the gospel of grace. So this king is bringing in the gospel of grace. Get the works-based righteousness out of here. Um, Jewish leaders, Jewish people, we're not going to trust in that anymore. We're going to trust, we're going to look to, we're going to get our hearts ready for this gospel of grace, which today we're going to see how we get ready for that, right? And then the but what we saw in our passage first last week was the great scope of this gospel of grace, meaning this, this gospel of grace was going to go to the ends of the earth, and it's the most important thing that's happening in history currently. So what we saw in these verses, listen, we saw the, the Roman emperor, we saw the Palestinian leaders, the governors, and then we saw the, the, the religious leaders, the high priesthood. And, and all of this is to just show this is the time frame in which this gospel of grace is coming in. Listen, ready? And this gospel of grace is far more important than any of these little old leaders 
that are working right now. This gospel of grace, listen, is going to permeate everything. It's going to penetrate, and it's going to go to the ends of the earth. So listen, when we see all this, when we see the Caesar, we see the the tetrarchs, we see the, the high priests, here's what this is showing us. Ready? All of this is happening right now, and you want to know what the most important thing that's happening in this time frame of history is? Is this man who's in the wilderness, eating locusts and wild honey and dressed in camel's hair? who's coming in to prepare hearts for the gospel of the grace of Jesus Christ. That's the most important thing that's happening, and it will go to the ends of the earth. Then what we saw is this is so important because of the great source of the gospel of grace. Number two, what we saw last week was the great source, and who is the source of this gospel of grace? God, God himself. He's the one who's bringing this in. Listen, his word came to John to call him out. His prophecy from Isaiah long ago was preparing a people for this. And the whole prophecy in Isaiah is about this coming king, this God who's bringing in this gospel of grace. If you remember what we talked about, is this, this picture here from Isaiah is prepare the way, make straight the roads, basically fill in all the potholes so that the king can come smoothly riding in. And that's what he's doing here. He's preparing hearts so that it can smooth out the way, uh, the, the understanding, the repentance that needs to take place, the, the, the understanding that this is not a gospel of works, this is a gospel of grace, so that when the king comes with this gospel of grace, he can come smoothly right into your heart and settle in, and you believe and be saved. And so we see this great scope, and we see this great source. Now listen, today, today, in our passage, we're going to actually see the message that John is preaching. So this is all preparatory. This is how far it's going to go. This is who it's from. Now here's the message, the preparatory message of this gospel of grace. And what I'll tell you about this message, listen, ready? It's all about repentance. It's all about repentance. If there's one emphasis of this passage that you would just stamp upon it, the idea would be repentance. Repentance is the emphasis here. Repentance is the emphasis here. Why? Because repentance is the preparatory work for belief. Repentance is the preparatory work for belief. So listen, what's going to happen is these people need to repent so that when Jesus comes on the scene, they can believe. Repentance is the preparatory work for belief. Now, what is repentance? This would be a good question to ask before we read the text and look at our points. What is repentance? Well, repentance first is a recognition. Repentance first is a recognition. What is it a recognition of? It's a recognition of, of who you are and what your state is, and it's a recognition of who God is and the position that he holds. Repentance is a recognition, first and foremost. It's a, re- it's a recognition of who you are and what state you're in, and it's a recognition of who God is and, and what position he's in. And so this recognition of what? Of, of the fact that I'm a sinner. That's the main recognition of, of, of that where repentance starts is I have sin, right? The Bible tells us in Romans 3, 23, because I want to put this in the world of God, not just in the world of, of the world. Repentance begins with recognizing something very simple, and it's that I'm a sinner, but it's not just in the eyes of the world. It's not like, oh, look, I'm bad in light of everybody else. It's a comparison to God. And so Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short. You guys probably know this of what? Of the glory of God. And so what we know, listen, this is difficult stuff, but it's so important for you to understand. The, the Bible tells us that God is aiming to bring glory to himself. Meaning this, he has made everything in the world to display how great he is. And that's the best thing that could happen because when you see how great God is, you get him, you're satisfied in him, you get the best thing that you could ever get, God himself, and then he gets all the glory, all at the same time. So that's why God created the world. But listen, the Bible says, for we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, meaning this, we don't reflect him perfectly. We fall short 
of reflecting how great God is. And we don't love the glory of God like we should. Like, if I were to just ask you very honestly, do you love the glory of God? Do you love the glory of God? Many people in this room would probably say no, right? Or maybe, maybe even in our Christianity, oftentimes we would say no, I don't like I should. So we don't love the glory of God and we fall short of reflecting the glory of God. That's sin. God's perfect. He's holy. He's set apart. He's like no one else. He's cut from a different cloth. He's in his own category, right? There's no one like him. He is the best in every category. That's God's holiness. And when we see that, that's God's glory. And we fall short of reflecting that glory. We shall fall short of loving that glory. We have sin that allows us uh, to, to, to fall short, that makes us fall short of reflecting perfectly God's glory. So we have sin. We, we fall short. We don't, we don't reflect it perfectly like we should. And now with this sin, listen, we have to understand that God is not like that. God is perfect. He's just, right? He, he's in a class by himself. And so God, to be perfectly just, Punish sin. Sin has to be punished because God is just, and the and and sin is is a is a an offense against the holy God. And so there's a recognition. I'm a sinner. God, God's not. He's perfect. He's holy. I fall short of loving that glory and reflecting that glory. That's what it really means. I want to put it in biblical terms, not just like, oh, I have sin means I'm a bad person compared to everybody else. This is a falling short of, of reflecting the glory of God. Everybody has sin. It's a recognition of that and that God must punish that sin. And so listen, this repentance is a realization. It's a recognition of that state. The second thing that repentance is, it's a transvaluation. So it's a recognition and then it's a transvaluation. Repentance literally means to turn away or, or to turn around. And so it's a, like a military term. You're walking one way and they would say, repent, and you would turn, and then we go the other direction, right? That is a, a repentant heart. That's what happens in repentance. And so listen, repentance is a recognition, and then it's a transvaluation, meaning this. You valued one thing one way for so long, and now you're turning, and you have a different value system. What's this value system? Well, now everything else and yourself is no longer your treasure. Jesus would be your treasure. That's a transvaluation. You used to value your own righteousness or your own way, and now you've turned to value God's way and God's righteousness. That's transvaluation, but it's not just a transvaluation. It's a transformation. So it's a recognition. It's a transvaluation, and it's a transformation, meaning you lived a certain way, and now God has changed you or opened up your eyes, and you're turning, and you're living a different way. So this is what John wants to take place in this in this passage. He wants this people to have a recognition of sin and a recognition of the understanding that they can't be right by the law, by keeping the law. He wants a transvaluation to happen, that they don't value their own righteousness, but they value God's righteousness and his work that is, that is coming to pass by God sending his son. And it's a transformation that they would turn away from their works the way that they are and that they would live for Jesus in a new way, live for God in a new way. So that's what's happening here. Now, this is very, very specific call of repentance. Let me say one more thing and we'll read the passage. Here is this call of repentance. Once again, that you have to recognize you're a sinner, you change your values, and you change your behavior in light of the fact that you can't earn your salvation. This is not a works-based righteousness. This is a now a gospel of grace. And so this is the type of repentance, this is the specific call that he is encouraging these people with. Okay? He wants them to turn away from trusting in themselves and turn to preparing for receiving this gospel of grace. So let's read this, and we're basically just going to look at that 
um, understanding the entire time, and it's very applicable for us. So let's read. We're going to start in verse 1. We're going to read to verse 22, and that's the whole passage. We've already covered verses 1 through 6, but just to get the whole context, and then next week we'll cover verses 15 through 22. Let's read. Ready? Verse 1, chapter 3. In the 15th year of the region of Tiberius Caesar... Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee and his brothers Philip tetrarch of the region of Iturea and Trachonitis and Lysanias the tetrarch of Abilene during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas right we read that we talked about um, how that's the great scope here's the source the word of God came to John the son of Zechariah in the wilderness and he went into all the region around the Jordan proclaiming the baptism of of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. See, we see a repentance emphasized here. We're going to talk about that. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, prepare the voice crying of one in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Every valley shall be filled, every mountain and hill shall be made low, the crooked shall become straight, and the rough places shall become level, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Here's our portion today. He said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, right? Happy Mother's Day. You who warned you to flee from the wrath to come, bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. For now, the Acts. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, what then shall we do? And he answered this, whoever has two tunics is to share with him, and he who has none, and whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, collect no more than you are authorized to do. Soldiers also asked him, and, and what shall we do? And he said to them, do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusations and be content with your wages. As the people were in um, expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ, John answered them all saying, I baptize you with water. But he who is mightier than I is coming. The straps of the sandals I am unworthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. You guys think that I preach hard, right? Like, I mean, this is serious stuff, but look at what the Bible calls it. Verse 18. So with many other exhortations, he preached what? Good news. This is good news. I'm going to do away with your works-based righteousness in a harsh way so that we get it out of here in order that you might trust in the gospel of grace. This is harsh, but it's good news. So you can be saved. Keep going, verse 19. But Herod, the Tetrarch, who had been reproved by him for Herodias, his brother's wife, and for all the evil things that Herod had done, added this to them all, that he locked up John in prison. Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened up, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. And so we see this whole passage keeping in line with the fact that God is ushering in this gospel of grace and doing away with a works-based righteousness. What do we see in this passage that helps us as well? There's really just, listen, there's two portions of this message, right? This is John's actual message. There's a preparatory work and and then there's a fruit that's produced, okay? We're just seeing those two sections, okay? So the first thing that we see in our passage is the preparation for the gospel of grace. That's what he's doing in these verses. He's just preparing these people. And I've already illustrated it. I'm saying the same things in different ways. There's a preparation that needs to happen for this gospel of grace. And that's what he's emphasizing. So we're going to walk through it. 
The emphasis is on repentance. That's the preparation work. If you ever ask yourself, well, I just don't know. I just, I believe Jesus is a good person. I'm like, I'm, I'm, I know it's probably great that I follow him. I just, I don't know. There's something about it that just doesn't click for me. Or I just don't really want to, to follow him. And I just don't feel the need to be that extreme. Well, once again, let me tell you, probably what has not taken place is a recognition that repentance needs to occur. Like for you, repentance is the preparatory work for belief just as much as for these people. When you realize you're a sinner and you realize that in light of holy God and you realize that there's a punishment for that sin because God is just, then repentance is, is something that you run to and cling to. I'm going to turn away from living for myself. I'm going to turn to living from God, and I can't wait to receive this gospel of grace. Repentance needs to take place before belief happens. That's why he's doing this preparatory work. So let's walk through it. What we see, look, verse 3, is what he calls, comes out proclaiming, which is the baptism of what? Of what? Repentance, the baptism of repentance, meaning this, baptism will be the fruit of a repentant heart. That's what he's calling for, for the forgiveness of sins. Repentance needs to happen. Baptism is going to be the symbol. Forgiveness of sins is going to take place because now there's a trust in the grace-based righteousness. Now, what I want you to understand is if you jump from verse 3, look at verse 3. He went into all the region around the Jordan, and he proclaimed the baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. It it would jump down to verse 7, passing over the Isaiah prophecy, and then therefore verse 7 is the, the message. So he's coming out, preaching this baptism of repentance, For the forgiveness of sins, that's the message. What did the message actually look like? Well, you jump jump down to verse 7. So here's the message. He said, verse 7, this. This is the message of the baptism of repentance. Now, this is very, very important for you to understand what's happening in the context, okay? These people... These Jewish people were trusting in a righteousness that came ultimately from their father who? Abraham. So what would happen is this. Abraham's righteousness, listen, Abraham's righteousness would be counted for them in their mind. Like Abraham, what he did in his time in believing God, right, would be supplementing their lack of righteousness. So they ultimately trusted in that, but not only that, but when they would be circumcised, they would enter enter into this covenant family, which would then give them an opportunity to actually keep the law and be made righteous over time. So any way you slice it here, what's happening is these people are not hearing repentance. They're hearing baptism, and they're hearing forgiveness of sins, and they're hearing works, and they're hearing earning righteousness by their own merit. Repentance is being missed here, and that's why John is emphasizing it. He's saying, you have sin. That's the main crux of this message. How do we know that that's what's happening? We'll jump down to verse 7. Here's what they're doing. They're coming out to be baptized. Listen, this is high level, but I want us to grasp it. Listen, this is so important. They're coming out to be baptized as another effort to keep the works of the law. So they're coming out. They're not hearing repentance. They're hearing baptism. They're hearing forgiveness of sins. And they're coming to the water as John is a prophet of the Lord. And they're saying, if we're baptized, this will add to our works and make us righteous before God. And what John is saying, you're missing the whole point. Don't just come to do the works of God in order to earn your righteousness. Come and hear the message of repentance, that you are full of sin and you need to turn away so that you're not trusting in yourself and that you can outweigh the scales and earn your favor before God, but that you would look at your sin and say, I need a Savior. And you'd be ready for the gospel of grace as Jesus enters onto the scene. This is what he's telling him here. Be ready. Be ready. Repentance. Recognize. Transvaluation. Transformation. You are full of sin no matter if Abraham's your father or not. You have sin inside. You don't trust in this merit. 
It's not going to go well for you. Trust in the gospel of grace that King Jesus is bringing in. So here's what he's telling them in verse 7. Look at this. Ready? He said, therefore, to the crowds who came out to be baptized. There's leaders and there's Jewish people. Some are receiving, some are not. He says, you brood of vipers, right? And what we see in this, in this message, in this passage, is some pretty hard things. But prior to, to, to that, what we see, look, is John is calling for a, a, a repentance from some, some works, uh, works-based righteousness. So like before we even get into the brood of vipers thing, let me just tell you, here's what he's calling the preparation for the gospel of grace. It's a call for repentance and it's repentance from some things and it's repentance to some things. So here's what he's calling repentance from. What we see is this response from John because of the response of the people. And here's what he says, you brood of vipers. That's the first thing he calls them. Now, what does that mean? Well, it means something bad. We know that, right? Like, that's not a good thing. Like, you know, a friend doesn't come over for dinner and say, welcome, brood of vipers. Like, I'm excited that you're here, right? That's a, this is a bad thing. This is not a good thing, right? And so what is this good, what is this bad message that he's saying? He's saying you're deceived. You're poisoned. You have poison in your veins, I'm calling you away from a workspace righteousness because it's full of poison. You are full of poison. You think that by keeping the law, God is going to receive you. You think that because you come to be baptized as another work, which, by the way, we do the same thing. It's like, come to church, come to get baptized, right? And yet God will receive me if I continue those works. And what John is saying here is you got poison in your veins. You're being deceived. You're loopy. You're not seeing what's right. These works are not going to earn your way before the Lord. And he's calling them brood of vipers. It also brings to mind that these people who are poisoned are also poisoning others. Like any time a Pharisee opens his mouth to tell people how to be made right, he's spreading the poison. And so he's saying you're poisoned. This is a harsh message, but remember, this is good news. If you sitting in here today realize, man, I can't earn my way to God by being good enough. I need the grace that comes from Jesus Christ. Then this harsh message is good news for you, as much as it might sting. The second thing that he goes on to say is... Who has warned you to flee from the wrath that is to come? They're coming. They're hearing baptism. They're hearing forgiveness of sins. They're thinking about it in such a way that's works-based, not preparatory-based for, for a, rep- a true repentance that receives grace. And they're coming to earn their way so that they could add another uh, uh, a check mark in order to not receive the wrath of God. It, it's fire insurance for them. So now they're poisoned, they think it's works-based, and they're just doing this to escape the wrath of God as another work to be made right before him. That's what's literally happening here. And then so he's warning them, he's, he's telling them, he's, he's calling them to something else. He's saying, verse 8, there's a new way of thinking. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance, meaning this, your works now in Christ will be as a result of grace-based righteousness, not an earning of a works-based righteousness. You will still do good works. But it'll be as a result, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Don't bear fruit in place of repentance to earn your right standing before God. This is a harsh message. Like, this is not easy, right? But this is what he's saying. He goes on to say, and do not begin to say to yourself, we have who? Abraham as our father. Like, that don't mean anything. You need your sin paid for. And this speaks to us because oftentimes we can look to our heritage. We can look to our family line. I got a pretty good family. They're pretty prominent. Like they've done a lot of good works. They've done a lot of good things over the course of years. Like there ain't no way that I could be guilty before God. There's just no way. Like I'm a good person. And John's preaching a harsh message to get that poison out of your mind and say, no, 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 you need a savior. You have sin. 
turn away from the the works-based righteousness and turn to this grace-based forgiveness that comes by the merit of Jesus Christ alone. It doesn't matter what your family line is. It doesn't matter who was righteous before you. It doesn't matter how many great good works you have done in your lifetime. You got poison inside you. You're loopy if you're believing something else. And this is a harsh message because you should fall on your knees and say, then how in the world can I be saved? And God would come in and say, this is how. I'm going to save you by sending my son and being righteousness on your behalf. Trust in the merit of my son alone. Salvation. He's preaching a harsh message to prepare them. So he goes on, for I tell you, God is able to raise up from these stones, right, children for Abraham. That don't mean anything. And he's saying this even in our last verse in this section, verse 9, like there is, this is urgent. He says, even now the axe is laid to the root of the tree, right? Meaning this, like this is urgent. There is judgment right now and on your doorstep. God is giving people over to their ways and saying, fine, you don't want me. You don't want this message of grace. Go. That's judgment. And that's a hard thing for me to say, but it's just true. That's judgment. Like if you're going on your merry way and you don't believe that any of this is true and God is just letting you go without putting any roadblock in your path, you should be terrified. You should be very terrified because that means that there's judgment taking place. God is just letting you go to your own way. And you don't want that. You want legitimate children like uh, like you're a legitimate child of God where he says if you're going your own way I'm going to put a roadblock because I'm calling you to myself if you're going your own way you don't believe this this is folly and he's just letting you go and everything is easy peasy you need to be afraid and you need to turn back with this recognition that that you're a sinner and so he's calling he's calling us away from this works-based righteousness. You remember when Jesus was eating and drinking, Luke 7, I won't show you it now, but Luke 7, remember when, when Jesus is eating and drinking with, with the sinners? You know that story? Where he's, he's, he's with the sinners, those who are the tax collectors and the drunkards, etc. Well, I love that story, and many people say, see, Jesus didn't spend time with church people. He spent time with with." with messed up unbelievers. That's true, but listen, there's more to that story. It, it's not just, like it's not it's not the whole truth. What what that passage is describing to us is that Jesus spent time with people who recognized that they were sinners, that they needed something else on their behalf for their righteousness, not their works. Right? To spend time with the religious people would say he's spending time with those who don't need anything to supplement or to, to in place of of their own works for for righteousness and so listen here's what i want to say to you is even as christians i think i think this place should be full i think your lives should be full of people around you church people or not church people religious or non-religious it doesn't matter of people who you want to be ready to receive and to understand and, and to believe in the fact that they can't be righteous on their own they need a savior it doesn't matter what their lives look like that's, that's the whole point here. John wants to move them into a place of understanding they can't earn this righteousness. But something that he calls them to. John calls them from workspace righteousness, and John calls them to repentance, to works, as a result of grace-based righteousness. So here's what he says, ready? In verse he talks about the fruit that comes and in verse 8 he talks about the fruit that comes fruit comes from keeping with repentance as a result of your trust in Jesus Christ now listen this is important before we move on to our our last point listen ready if if you don't understand why Christians do good things it's not just to be moral And it's not to earn right standing with God. We do good works. We follow this 
right? We love God's word and we seek to obey it consistently out of the overflow of a righteousness that we've already been given through Jesus Christ. It's fruit. It's not an earning. It's not a works-based message. It has nothing to do with God's favor is going to be more upon you if you do great things for him to earn his, his salvation. That, it just doesn't work that way. You can't be made right by God through your works, through works of the law. You just can't. You're made right with God through his merit of salvation based upon Jesus Christ, and you do good works out of the overflow of that. If I were to describe it like a marriage, uh, can you imagine if I said, hey, look, I'm going to work for the rest of my life to earn my, my right standing, my marriage with my wife, and I'm going to earn that for the rest of my life so that she stays married to me or that I get the marriage one day, right? It doesn't make any sense. Out of the, we're already married, definitive, one time because we, because we repented from living a life for ourselves, and we repented to living a life for each other. And now out of the overflow of that marriage, we do good works towards each other because of the love that we have for each other. That's how this salvation works. And the Jewish people got to get this. They got to understand where fruit falls in place, and it's out of the overflow of a grace-based righteousness. It's not earning their right standing with God. So we see this repentance. This is the preparatory work. And then last in our section, what we see very simple and very practical is the practical fruit, the practical fruit of the gospel of grace. We saw the preparation for this gospel of grace. Get your hearts ready by realizing you have sin and you need a Savior. Get your heart ready. Don't trust in this merit. Don't look just to baptism as another earning. Look to repentance, turning away from and turning to God. And then the practical fruit that comes along with this gospel of grace. And so what we see in verses 10 through 11 is practical, very. So what we see is that they come and they start asking John questions. By the way, in all of the Gospels, this is, only the, quest, this is the only question and answer time that we see. Like you can look in the Bible, uh, Matthew chapter 3, Mark chapter 1, John chapter 1, um, and you can see all this story of John the Baptist in different lights. But this is the only one, listen, this is the only one that produces a question and answer time with John the Baptist. This is the only time. And so these people, these crowds come to him for a question and answer. And here's what they say is, okay, now, then what should we do? Like, they're still stuck on this whole what do I do thing, right? And John's being, I think, gracious here with him, and he's saying, here's the fruit that comes from after trusting in this gospel of grace. Here's what fruit should be produced in your life. And the first thing that we see, the first fruit that's produced is love. I mean, it's very simple. This is the fruit. This is the practical fruit that will come from trusting in the grace-based righteousness. It's love. He says, whoever has two tunics, do what with it? Share it. Share. Love. Think for the other person. Now, this is normal that people would have two tunics to keep warm. And he said, instead of thinking for yourself, take one of your tunics and give it to the other person. Or if they don't have food, take some of yours and give it to them. But here's the deal. That's not earning your righteousness. That's the fruit of being made right by grace. The second fruit that we see is the fruit of honesty. Honesty. What we see in this is next, the tax collector comes up to him and he says this. He came up to him and he said, teacher, what shall we do? Like the crowds come up, what are we supposed to do now that we are repenting and believing? Some are, are believing this. What are we supposed to do? He says, hey, you guys share love. That's the fruit that comes from grace-based righteousness. The next, tax collectors, be honest. Because here's what the tax collectors would do. The tax collectors would bid to take the taxes. Like they would bid on it. They say, I want to do it. The other one says, I want to do it. I want to do it. Here's how much I'll pay you to go take taxes from people, right? Like, does that make any sense, right? But here's what they're doing. Why? Because they could profit from this. So then when they would go and collect the taxes, they would charge how, uh, how much, right? The, the exact amount? No, they would charge extra. Why? To receive a profit. And here's what, he's do, here's what he's saying, tax collectors. Then when they came to him, they said, teacher, what shall we do? He said to them, collect no more than you are authorized to do. Be honest. Be honest. And collect only what's necessary. That's a natural fruit 
that should come from your grace-based righteousness. And the third thing that we see in this passage is contentment. This is just a fruit that comes with the gospel of grace. Why these three are emphasized here, God knows. And he just wanted them to be emphasized. Love, honesty, contentment. Because now the soldiers come up to him. And the soldiers say this, What should we do, John? And he said this, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or false accusations, and be content with your wages, what the soldiers would do, because you're a soldier, you got a weapon, and you're probably strong, right? And so you would go, and you would falsely accuse someone of a crime so that they would get in trouble, and if they wanted to re- get out of that, what would they do? They would pay you, right? And he's saying, instead of acting like that, just be content with your wages. Be content with what you earn for being a soldier. And this is just practical fruit. The practical fruit from the gospel of grace. This is not to earn your right standing with God. It's a result of it. Love, honesty, contentment. And so church, as we close today, I want to encourage you in these two things. One is prepare your heart continually for this gospel of grace. Look to the fact, am I trusting in my works to be in right standing with God? Or am I repenting, recognizing I'm a sinner, transvaluation, valuing who God is, and transforming, looking to Him for change, and bear fruit in keeping with this repentance, not in earning your right standing with God. And this is what some fruit should look like in your life, love, honesty, contentment. Let's pray. Father, we come before you today and... um, We're grateful for your word. Um, It's deep, and there's hidden treasures in it. But God, I know that um, you're going to use it in our lives. I pray, God, that you would call us into something great, that you would call us into a trusting of your merit through grace and not a trusting in our own works in order to earn right standing with you, that we'd repent from this workspace righteousness, that we turn away recognizing that we have sin, not even using the things of God like baptism to as another work, as another check mark to be in right standing with you. But yet instead, we would look towards a repentance, a recognition that we have sin and there's no other merit before you besides Jesus Christ that will prepare us, be ready to receive the Lord Jesus for the first time or the hundredth. God, I pray that out of the overflow of that grace, that we would look at our good works as not more ways of earning your favor, but we would look to our good works as a result of the righteousness that we have already received through your Son, and that we would live our lives producing good works to show the world how great you are. God, we pray that you would do this work in our hearts so that we could all know and love and live for you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this resource from the Field Church in Mandeville, Louisiana. We pray that it helps you joyfully make Jesus Christ your treasure.